0: Oh, hey there, folks. This is your host, Kate Gaffney, letting you know this is part two of two with the utterly delightful writer, stand-up comic, and leader in the growing movement to decriminalize sex work, Caitlin Bailey. Caitlin's one-person show is about to start touring the country. It's going to start in New York City, specifically in Manhattan, and then she's going to go from there to various cities. She's definitely coming to San Francisco and anywhere in between. She also still tours the country talking about the decriminalization of sex work and being very candid about that industry. And if you want to get in touch with Caitlin directly, you can visit her website which is caitlinbailey.com k-a-y-t-l-i-n-b-a-i-l-e-y.com there you can see the media the articles that she's written for vice and elsewhere about working in sex work and just love, get to know her. She is utterly delightful, as you will see, and so whip-smart. Give me more smart women, y'all. Y'all have smart women in your lives that do w- interesting work. Please reach out. I never tire of speaking to smart women. I never tire of speaking to smart people, but I just delight in smart women. So please reach out to us. Please support her work. Please support art. You see what we have to go through, y'all, to be able to be artists in very expensive cities. You're gonna hear about it. So this is part two of two. Find Caitlin on all the things. The At the end of this episode, We give all of her socials and it will also be in the show notes. Thank you folks so much for listening. Let's get on with the show. Um, Okay. So this is the, this is the section where we ask all the questions, but I'll jump back in. Do you have any questions before we start that? no this, okay. this has been fun
1: this is great thanks oh, I'm for doing. so glad thanks for doing really it
0: fun. okay I'm trying to speed up because I know you only have 45 more minutes so here we go okay folks we're back and now it's time for the entrees okay Caitlin now this is the part that everybody knows and loves this is the part where we gripe about jobs of course I'm going to ask yeah. you about you know uh, all of the jobs but you've already mentioned two so you did say you answered our very first question already what was your first job ever and I wrote it down you were a canvas director um, right no. 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 No, no, no no that's not yeah, that was
1: that was uh, that that was my first job upon graduating college. Ah, okay. Well, what's your that was first job my ever? my first, like, salaried position where they sort of pretended to give me health insurance and stuff. <laughs> um, my first, yeah, no, my first job, I was
0: 15 and I was working as a hostess at Applebee's. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll I'm going to ask questions about that in a second. How many customer service yeah. jobs would you say you've had total then if we start with Applebee's?
1: Oh, God. Okay, so Applebee's, Amarillo Grill... Four pizza places in Charleston. I don't know why I got so into pizza. Uh, <laughs>
0: Big pizza advocate. I don't know what
1: that was about. <laughs> yeah, Another hostess gig. I think the canvassing counts as yes. customer service. Yes. It's a lot, yeah. yeah. Yes. Canvassing, Starbucks, we're up to 10. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, oh yeah, that's right. I worked at uh, La Pond Quotidian um, at Rockefeller Center uh, as a job. That was terrible. Ugh. I still have anxiety nightmares about like, uh, table four needs
0: water. <laughs> oh, God, I have so um, many questions. Okay, keep going.
1: Yeah, um, and then after the Rockefeller Center, I worked as a tutor. And I also worked, uh, one of the, the weirdest, funnest jobs that I ever had was I worked as a, oh, what's it called? Chaperone. So when high school kids from all over the country, like, like Oklahoma and Alaska, like rural America, come to New York, they pay people like me to sit in the hallway from 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. to prevent pregnancy or property damage or like, things that can happen when like, kids come to the big city and are left in a hotel room.
0: And you loved yeah. that job. I loved that because I got to watch Game of
1: Thrones in the hallway. <laughs> forever. You know, that was just, you know the kids would like, go to bed. And, and so I, I, you know, I'd be like, hi, I'm Caitlin. Um, you're not allowed to leave and I'll be sitting in this corner to make sure that's true. And then I would just sit there and like be on the computer all night and be this was I was living a mostly nocturnal lifestyle anyway. I was gonna ask. And then okay. I would walk home at six o'clock in the morning and that you know, walking through it's a magical hour yeah, it to is. be walking through the streets of New York.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. it is my favorite time, is that early morning. Yeah. Okay, so you were a chaperone. Okay, so get so tutor chaperone was the most fun. What uh customer service and sex work, I assume do you count that as customer service? I very much do. Oh
1: yes, yeah, also yeah, that is definitely okay. customer service. Okay. Yes. So, so Sex work, um, the first time I did sex work, I was in high school. That was after I worked at Applebee's and Dirt, while I was working at the Amarillo Grill as a line cook, which both, uh, I was sexually harassed, by the way, at both of those jobs. And then I got paid to do consensual sex work, uh, which was a way better dynamic than just being like, pinched um, and made uncomfortable by my manager who was paying me like seven bucks an hour or something. Disgusting. Um, Disgusting. Just just throwing that out there. It's not not like my service industry jobs didn't have the sex part of it. It, I just had way fewer
0: tools for (laughs) self-advocacy. Yeah. And also you were not asking, you didn't sign up for it. You signed up to do a job that wasn't including
1: that. I was like, I'm here to to cook chicken
0: uh, or I'm here to seat
1: people. Those were the jobs. Not uh, provide sexual entertainment for uh, middle-aged underemployed dudes
0: Mm, that are probably not showering regularly uh what was the so were you so i would be so terrified if i'm honest of stepping into that and feeling so vulnerable so what was because you were in high school what was what what made you feel safe
1: yeah so it was really important to me for lots of reasons to not be killed and murdered
0: oh really you're Uh, the only mostly hmm.
1: Weird. Yeah. Reason. So yeah. So there's the the obvious stuff, right? Like being alive is better. It's good. But also, I was a middle class kid who was doing sex work to prove a point, right? I had no survival needs that I had to meet. So if I ended up dead, then I'd be wrong. Yeah. Which felt worse to me. Yeah. Agreed. Than the violence. <laughs> yep. <you> know? Like, <laughs> I was like, maybe prostitution is fine. That's the, that's my that's my hypothesis. going into this. So I, I was really extra about screening, which was also made possible by my privilege, right? Because I didn't have rent, because I didn't have like urgent needs that could only be met with money. It was very easy for me to say, no, I'm sorry, man, like I need more information before I can meet with you. Or like, eh, I don't know, that email made me feel weird. I'm just not gonna respond. Or like, I was looking for reasons not to see clients, because I this was this was recreational for me, which I think is really important. Yeah, to to say that like that if you if you want to increase people's options, then one of the first things that you should do is increase their access to resources, and it makes it easier for folks to step away from clients they don't feel comfortable with or setting boundaries because they have their their needs met, which was certainly my case. So you know, in order to book an appointment with me, you had to send me um, a, a nice email. I needed your real name, I, I needed to know where you worked, and I needed the name and contact information for two other providers that you had seen and presumably not killed or upset uh, in some way. Presumably. So then what I would do, presumably, right? So then I would you know take that information, the first thing that I would do is reach out to both of the providers, I did not need to hear back from both of them. I only needed to hear back from one of them, but I did need to. After I got some kind of feedback, like yes, I did see this person, or you know, I don't remember that person, or uh, yeah, they're they're great, uh, they have a foot thing, or like you know, whatever information is exchanged, then I would call to confirm their identity with their employer. So I didn't really need any information about them. I just needed to know that they were where they said they worked, right? So this looks like looking up where they say that they work, calling them, and then just asking for them by name. And so if the person on the other end of the line says, yeah, no problem, I'll connect to you immediately, then you hang up. If they say, so-and-so doesn't work here, that's the end of the interaction. We're never, I'm never gonna meet that person in person. Once the appointment happens, if it's uh, an in-call, it means that they're coming to me. If it's an out-call, it means that I'm going to them. In either case, before I cross the threshold or they cross the threshold, I need to see their ID. So this will look like me standing in the hotel hallway, or it will look like them standing in the hotel hallway while they hand me their ID. And I confirm that the name that they gave me matches, that I did all of the background check work on matches the name that I did all of this work on. And so that's, once somebody does all of that, it's a, pretty safe bet that the, you know, spectrum of bad things that can happen
0: is, is less. pretty mitigated at yeah. that point. Yeah. yeah.
1: It also does, that kind of screening establishes me as the professional and the person who is dictating the sort of terms of yeah. the way that we're going to spend our time. And it puts me in a really strong negotiating position. I did not have any of those tools when I went to college and started participating in like the hookup culture. So it was then, it was in college, right, with guys often my own age that I was giving uh, free sex to who would do stupid shit like slip off the condom or try to get away <laughs> with doing things that were outside of the bounds of what we agreed on. Paying clients very rarely. Pushed those kinds of boundaries, or if they did, I had lots of tools to call a spade a spade, and you know, make sure that that we either nipped that in the bud, or ended the appointment, or just
0: chose not to see that guy again. It's oh you're so smart. I so I I do think it's important to reemphasize what you already said that people may not have let register. Because of the position of not being desperate, you could take the time to do all of those things. Absolutely. Whereas someone and most importantly, say no to clients that
1: made me uncomfortable for whatever reason. Yeah. And that is also that was also true in my professional life, right? Like I felt very disempowered when I first came to New York and needed to make rent and didn't have that much free time and didn't have that much availability. And I put up with a lot of bullshit at my restaurant gigs, at my tutoring gigs, at my Starbucks gigs, things that in retrospect feel very abusive, very exploitative because I was desperate for money. And I think that's true of desperate people do desperate things. So again, when we're having a conversation about reducing violence and exploitation, We should really be having a conversation about reducing people's vulnerabilities, not dictating or policing how they make that money. That's not what determines the exploitation.
0: Well, and I, I've said this on the on the show so many times, and it bears repeating that we do not have a labor shortage. I think we have a shortage of people willing to be exploited and abused because they spent the entirety of the pandemic thinking, huh, that company's clearing billions off the backs of my yeah. labor or our labor. And I live yep. 10 people to a one bedroom. I can yep. barely find enough money for bread. Uh, I'm going to pull back on this experience and mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit this one out because I'm suffering anyway. That's what I think happened and is why people aren't eager to go back in. Good. We see eye to eye on that. Okay, good. So you had said earlier on I and yes, folks, I will get back to the regular questions because some of these regular questions people are going to want you to answer more so than any other guest. Yeah. But um, I want to know why you said sex work was or is less torturous than your experience with at Applebee's and Starbucks.
1: Part of it was that I got to keep a hundred percent of the money, mm. right? So I think it was the fact that I wasn't creating value for an employer or a corporation or a company that I was deciding um, how much my services cost and how much I wanted to be paid, and those were the same number. So that was a big part of it. The other part of it was uh, how much the uh, just the amount of time, right? So you know, I wasn't working eight-hour shifts, ten-hour shifts, twelve-hour shifts, right? I was booking my time one and two hours at a time, which I think frees up a lot of uh, it frees up a lot of time, right, for me to feel like a person. This is uh, one reason why so many people who are caregivers um, engage in this work, right? Whether they're caring for children or elderly parents or you know, disabled family members sex work creates a level of flexibility and time autonomy that is very important for people feeling like they're able to make choices and dictate, you know, their own life, right? How they're spending their time.
0: I did not Um, know that.
1: Yeah, another part of it was, again, the sort of feeling in control and feeling that I got to negotiate my own boundaries, right? So, like, when I was working at Applebee's or Starbucks, right, to big corporate or La Plain Quotidian, right, like corporate restaurants, so much was dictated to me about the way that I engaged in client with clients, right, or, like, tables. And I didn't have a lot of tools uh, for self-advocacy if those tables violated the social contract, right? Like, if they were a dick to me or, you know. And so... As a sex worker, I got to explicitly negotiate those boundaries on a case by case basis. As a service provider working in food and bev, I felt like I was performing a lot more emotional labor in terms of like pretending to be engaged or like pretending to be on for pennies on the dollar compared to what I was being paid to perform, you know, channeling the goddess, right?
0: I love it. Okay. And can I ask, so if you, so speak to me as someone who would love a flexible schedule, but would be terrified to do that work. What is the solution for people who don't, or especially I'll say women or, uh, people who, sure. people who identify as female, well, what is the solution?
1: I mean, people of all
0: genders, people all of all genders. genders in this yeah. Work, right.
1: Men, men have engaged in this work, uh, you know, non-binary folks, trans folks. I think that we have a story about how this is like women's work, yeah, uh, and there's a long history there, uh, but the cis men um, and the full gender spectrum have always been participants in this work.
0: So when you describe the freedom of schedule and the the attraction to the work that mm. gives you autonomy. Is there, what would you say to people who are, uh, who sex work does not feel appealing to and they want to do something else that gives the same sort of autonomy? What would you say, is there an equivalent? Um, I, I don't know if there's an equivalent. I'm not,
1: I'm certainly not an expert on the jobs that are available out there. You know, my my husband works in online marketing and seems to have a, a lot of flexibility uh, with his, you know, life, which is nice. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've seen other people do it, I just, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know what those jobs are. What I will say is that sex work, like every other job, isn't for everyone. And I think that you can listen to that voice inside of you, and it's important not to engage uh, in work that makes you feel terrible. You know, like I, for example, could never work in a slaughterhouse. Right, that's just something that I couldn't do. Right, it would, uh, it, that would be a kind of soul death for me saying that even as a meat-eater, right? Like, I don't see, uh, I don't think that we should criminalize slaughterhouses or whatever. I, I can't do it. And so if that's true for you, then I do not push yourself, right, to do
0: to do this work. I love that answer. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So I'm going back to the list of questions. Okay. What was your favorite job of all of the customer service jobs that you've had? I, I, I loved... I loved the sitting in the hallway
1: thing. I can't I get over the, that. Like, I can't get over condescend. Yeah, because you because I got to condescend to my <laughs> customer base or client base, right? <laughs> Stay in your room, you know, like that's great. Uh, to be a faux authority figure in a way that I couldn't with the tutoring students, right? Sure. It wasn't, wasn't like you know do your homework or <laughs> there are no consequences. I can't even pretend, right? All these rich kids are like, or what? And I was like, I don't know. I don't have an answer. Uh, <laughs> I did great on the SAT, and I'm taking a train ride to do. Do this so <laughs> you know I don't know what to tell you. Maybe it doesn't matter.
0: That's hilarious.
1: So yeah, I I I, I hated tutoring, that was a, a kind of one-on-one clientele where I felt like weird about it. um Working in busy restaurants is not for me. Working at busy coffee, I, I worked at the Starbucks on Fifty Third in Lexington. Oh my was,
0: God! You have to tell people yeah, why that's. Shit. Oh my! You have to tell people that don't know New York. Oh. Sure.
1: So uh, our doors opened at 8 a.m. to a line of people who work in finance, who are late and upset with you. Cocaine bros. And also somehow don't know what coffee they want when they get to you, even though they stood in line for 20 minutes to talk to you. I don't know why. And they're cocaine. I don't know why that's the thing. Oh my God. Oh my God. But the number, but but Starbucks, um, probably I mean, it was a combination of like the hours, right? I was working morning shifts. I was uh, doing stand-up comedy until very late at night. I just got into New York, which meant that like every weekend, the subway like fucked me up, right? Cause I was like snot bubble tear crying. Cause like the F trains on the E line and nothing. And I like don't know how to get where I'm going. But yeah, that was a, I have never been brought to tears so often at work, as I was working at Starbucks, uh, the first six months that I lived in New York,
0: you have to can you give me like was it cause they're just cocaine bros that are yelling? or what's the yeah, there's a,
1: there's a lot of yelling and condescension. Uh, like, you know, I remember this one day where like we we ran out of cups. like I don't remember like it just we didn't have any cups. Uh, and we were short staffed, right? So I was doing like cashier and pastry and the and we had like one like absolutely overwhelmed barista. And I remember watching this woman like fighting her, fighting her way upstream like a fucking salmon to tell me that she was allergic to foam and that she'd requested a no-foam latte and that there was some foam in this latte and so that we had to redo it and not having the bandwidth or the ability or the like social positioning to call her out on her. No one's allergic. That's milk. You can be allergic to milk, but yeah. you're not allergic. You're not allergic to foam. To foam. <laughs> That's not
0: a. That's thing. not a thing. It's <laughs> not a thing. <laughs>
1: you're allergic to air. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: And so it was a combination of like you know this is before Starbucks was unionizing, right? And so we were chronically short-staffed, chronically under-resourced, and uh, we were always overwhelmed, right? It was just never. There was never a moment in that location where you didn't have somebody that needed something, which makes it really hard to do all of the things that you like normally when you work in a restaurant, you have off hours, right? Or like not or slow slow Slower hours. Period. That's when you yeah. make the coffee. That's when you refill the cups. That's when you, mm-hmm. you know, find your Catch pens up. or whatever it yeah. was. And because there was just no stopping ever, it felt really overwhelming all of the time. And I was also Uh, really overwhelmed, right? Like I just moved to New York. I, you know, was doing a lot.
0: Yeah. And I think the thing with that particular location, again, just it's specific to New York because I think it's hard for people to visualize unless they've seen it like a line out the door from my limited experience with that. I mean, that Starbucks is like infamous uh, people just know yes. of it because it's so fucking busy. And the, yeah. the line out the door thing is part of the curb appeal because so much of, I mean, people forget Manhattan's an Island. Yeah. And so there's limited yeah. amount of space and the bodies just yeah. keep coming in. Like people just, they keep, just keep coming. Yeah.
1: A wave, a wave of people is a wave of very specific kind of people too, yeah. right? These are really high earners, yeah. right? These are people that have like really, uh, self-important jobs, mm-hmm. and so it's just a level. It, it, and again, speaking as a relatively privileged person, right? I I grew up upper middle class, and so it was a eye-opening shock to me mm-hmm. that people felt comfortable treating me any kind um, of way like a like a piece of shit, right? So you know, I, as a sex worker, I did not experience that. People were felt so lucky right to be spending special time with me when i worked in north carolina both as a hostess and also as a line cook i I didn't have that level nobody i didn't have that level of condescension like yes my managers sexually harassed me yes customers are hard and irritating but not the
0: way that finance bros talk down to anyone baristas (laughs) but specifically baristas yes yeah oh it's such a specific energy it's so rough Mm -hmm. so how long did you last at working at that location that's a long ass time caitlin yeah i got demoted
1: from so like i couldn't hack it as a proper barista they kept trying to promote me to barista and i was too afraid of the milk machine because it's hot being demoted back down to i kept burning myself yeah you can never really graduated from cashier and pastry person uh because i kept i kept hurting
0: myself with the milk steamer it hurts i've been there it Mm -hmm. does hurt Mm -hmm. i've been there so they so you last there for six months that's so of the so your your favorite job you said was the chaperoning job would you say starbucks after that that was after so would you say starbucks was the least favorite or what's I, the Yeah, least?
1: Starbucks, Starbucks is pretty I, I think it was really life circumstance. Sure. But yeah, I think Starbucks was one of the worst
0: one of the worst jobs for okay. sure. What is the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock? And get as specific as you'd like or be as vague as you would like?
1: At Starbucks, I was often asked to clean human feces from the bathroom because of because <sighs> we don't have public toilets in New York City. I mean, and that's a, that's a great example of like the presence of boundaries in sex work, and the assumption of complete lack of boundaries. it shocked my manager when I was like, "No, I will not do that," and they were like, "You have to do that. It's part of your job." No, and it's I was not. like, "Show me on my job description where cleaning up human poop is part of my problem." Because again, as a professional dick sucker, I can tell you, <laughs> no to scat play. Not, not, not into on the it. list of things I'm doing. <laughs> Certainly not on the list of things I'm doing for... Uh, let's call it one one hundredth of what I would be paid. Good God. To engage in genitals, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Go. It's in, I mean, it's you're making such a great point in the myriad great points you've made that it's. We <laughs> think that when we are, I'll speak for myself. I, I have this like weird thing with authority where if you have employed me and I'm working at a restaurant or wherever else, fill in the blank, that I just do whatever when I'm there because it's under sort of the purview of the job because I'm being paid to physically be there. So I guess I need to do that. The abuse yeah. that I have said yes to just because I yep. think, well, I guess I have to, and not yep. knowing that I can say no, I think you yep. empowered yourself with a no early on. Again. I mean, I, I, what a gift which made me, a, which made me a
1: terrible employee. Right. Like, so uh, I really, honestly, like, right. So, like, I, so I wouldn't do it. Right. So, and um, I, one of the jobs that I got after that, I worked at La Pont Quotidian and Rockefeller Center, which is another really busy place. And I was there during the transition from uh, family owned to corporate owned. And so one of the first things that we did is we lost our support staff. Right. So they weren't paying busboys, they weren't paying baristas, they weren't paying all these people. And almost like overnight, Right? Like I'd been working there for like three or four months and I had all of this support as a server and I like tipped out folks, right? But then overnight they were like, you need to bust your own tables, you need to make your own drinks, you need to do this, that and the other. And I was like, cool, how much more are you paying me? And they were like, oh, well, that's not a thing. Uh, and, and so that was, that was amazing. And I was like, well, I'm paid by the, the tables, right? So like, if you want people doing work that isn't customer serving, then you need to hire other people for that. The other thing that that location started doing uh, was charging us the servers for the credit card fees. So oh. we were not allowed to tell people that we like didn't take Amex or didn't take like high credit card fees. I know it's illegal, but it just started happening one day. And I and I I scheduled like three meetings with my manager of like, can you explain this to me? It's saying on my paycheck that I'm being charged these like Amex fees, but like I'm pretty sure that that's like a you guys's job thing and like and they kept like talking in circles around me and and then i got fired for being like late too many days in a row or something like which was another thing that irritated me about restaurants is that like they were like you have to be here your your shift is from you know let's call it like 2 p.m to 8 p.m right and so you have to be there at 2 p.m on the dot but when 8 p.m. rolls around, if they're not ready to let you go yet, then you just have to stay there. And so I was like, well, does time matter or does time not matter? Because if I have to be on time, then like, you need to get me out of here on time. And that doesn't seem to be the arrangement. So if we're just being flexy on time, we can do that. <laughs>
0: but... <laughs> let's let's so I, do it. <laughs> yeah, so, so I was unmanageable,
1: right? Like you just, like, I couldn't, <laughs> just not, not a great, you did not, I, yeah. It was really frustrating for restaurant managers because they interviewed so well. Because They're like, oh my gosh, she's so charming. She's going to be a great server. It's like, well, I'm going to radicalize your staff and I'm not going to do any of the things that you asked me to. So <laughs> I'm going
0: to get us all <laughs> little pins on our lapel. We're going to be in a club and you're going to hate it. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, I wish, I wish that I
1: had the follow through or self-determination or just bandwidth at that Stage. moment yeah. in my life to, like, yeah. to unionize. I, I was just a complainer.
0: Well, but no, I mean, you're bringing up the points that are so important that we remember that we do have the power for that. I I yeah. had a job that hated me because when we were, we, it was a pooled house, which I fucking hate. And there yeah. was a bartender who was very clearly stealing cash tips. She refused to yes. let anybody watch her count it. And then she would go in the office and tell us what the number was. And I kept bringing it up. And I said, she, she needs to count that in front of someone. And if she, why isn't she counting? it here behind the bar where we all are so that we know how much cash because the cash also went onto our checks which is insane it's supposed to be at least you get the cash right away and and they were all like she's been here for forever she doesn't need to and i was like fuck i quit because i was like if that is something that is not important to you what else are you anyway okay so Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I want to be mindful of time. Okay, what was there ever an incident that made them ask to speak to your manager, or was it mostly you going to the manager's being like, "Oh, we about to have a chat?"
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, <laughs> did let's see, did people? I had one incident. I'm actually as an now that I am an adult, I think I might be on the customer's side here in this one. So I was 16, 17, 16 or 17 years old working at the Armadillo Grill as a, as a line cook, which I shouldn't, I should not have been hired for. But they were, it doesn't matter. And there was, it was an open kitchen. So for to-go orders, we had to, we handed the food directly to people. This, they, this really wasn't a dramatic, this is not, this is going to be a very boring story. But like, long story short, I was goofing off in the kitchen because it was a slow, period, because this was a restaurant in North Carolina where such a thing existed. And I, like, dropped the to-go box a little bit, so it went from, like, being like this to, like, this for a second. So flat on your hand to the side hand, for people
0: who got it.
1: And I didn't think about it. I was just like, oh, didn't hit the ground. Great. Great. And then handed it to the person who then opened it, and it was, like, uh, shut, like, all of the food, like, just spilled out of the thing because it had all been shoved over to one side and they uh came over and um probably could have talked to me and been like hey can you remake this and the answer would have been yes
0: yeah
1: but instead they were they went to the manager and said hey i I ordered a thing that's supposed to look like this it looks like that and the manager was like why does it look like that and i was like physics has not occurred (laughs) to me i'm so sorry uh gravity i don't know it's crazy i don't know man
0: yeah
1: (laughs) So there, yeah, nothing bad happened. You know, I'm trying, oh God, I'm trying to think back. Oh, I did have, um, I did lose my cool. Um, I lost a tutoring gig because I lost, I lost my cool at a classroom of people, young people who were doing their best and I was <laughs> not doing a very good job taking care of myself. Uh, yeah. How did you? And they fired me. And there have been, I have been justifiably fired from almost every service job that I've ever had, and there's never been a moment where I was fired and I was like, "Why?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: what happened never, here? <laughs> what happened? I'm <laughs> nailing this."
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, so was there a last straw that got you out of out of any of these jobs where you were like, "Flip a table, get yes. me out of here, I'm done."
1: Yep. Yep. It was the the same company. That hired me to do the uh, hallway chaperoning, also did transportation logistics for big events. So it was my responsibility, so, for example, when the Pope came and visited New York, I wrangled the press bus. So like the international press corps was on this bus, and we got a police escort to like where the Pope was. And it was my job to like stand at the bus with a clipboard and be like, herey, herey, <laughs> all ye he headed to the Pope. Get on this bus. I hope your name is on this list. Uh, doing a you know, making sure that people knew where they were supposed to go. Yeah. Um, and that was great. But I had to do the same thing for the PGA golf tournament. And that was, that was horrific because... It was, like, right, it was after 9-11, and so there were all of these like extra security things where it was my job to tell the mostly rich people who were coming to the PGA that they couldn't bring a bag. And so, right, but people, right, exactly, right? So I was like enforcing this uh, ridiculous rule, and I was the arbiter of that. And then I told people... Like, you can just leave your bag here and we'll watch it. Like, cause I was, you know, I'll be there all day. We'll we're, we're watch this bag and then, you know, you can come back and get it. And my manager was like, I don't think you should do that. I think you should tell people that they have to throw their bag away. And I was like, well, that doesn't feel right to me. And like, it doesn't feel like it costs me anything to just have this pile of bags. Like, And so without consulting me, he just threw them all away, which made me a liar to all of these people. And so I quit on the spot
0: good job you that's so shitty my word matters to me yeah that's a big deal oh i would have been upset
1: yeah i have a very i am my father's daughter in that i have a very very low tolerance for uh being lied to same girl by my
0: Oof. yeah. Oh, I. Employer, it's, it's supervisor or person. It's a one and done for me. As soon as you show me you're a liar, I believe yeah. you, and I'm all set. I'm out. Yeah, yep. yeah. I'm out. Oh, yep. I'm the same way. God, it's gonna yeah. kill me though. That that pursuit of justice is gonna be the reason I fucking clock out yeah. early.
1: <laughs> There's a great comic uh, that my my best friend in the whole wide world sends me every like three to four months since she found it, and it's. It's an old viking talking to a young viking. And the first thing is you got to pick your battles. Mm. And then the second window is that's too many battles. <laughs> Put some back. And then the third one is that's still too many battles. And then the last one is you get you get like one battle. So that's pick a battle. That's <laughs> that's-
0: It's so relatable. (laughs) It makes me nauseous, actually. Okay, great. (laughs) Okay. Um, Do you find that that the customers wield more power than the laborers? Or do you find that the laborers wield more power than the customers? They just don't utilize it? Like, how do you feel the power balance is in a customer service setting?
1: That's completely dependent on... Uh, set setting and circumstance, right? So I have absolutely been in jobs where I felt absolutely powerless uh, with with customers who it, it felt like they could demand whatever they wanted. And I have felt very empowered to self-advocate, ne- never more so than as a sex worker, but I have, like, one of the best bartending gigs I ever had um, was this failing restaurant in the West Village. The owner was, like, combination... It's starting to suffer from sort of like dementia or alzheimer's and was also losing a fight to the landlord. so like the restaurant was just failing. but because of that, he just gave me the keys just gave me the keys to the to the spot and so I ran an open mic from ten pm until six o'clock in the morning for this like glorious Nine month period of time where I I lived two blocks away from the restaurant. And so we would like lock the doors after 4 a.m. when you're supposed to legally close. And now we're like smoking inside. And it was just like this very free space. But I was the bartender. And if anyone wanted a drink that had more than one ingredient in it, the answer was no. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I'd pour wine, I'd pour whiskey, I would open beer. But if you wanted a martini or a Manhattan. You know, Manhattan Sunrise or something, absolutely not. No, I am in charge here. That's not what we do. There's so many cocktail places around here that do do that. I'm running an open mic. I don't have that kind of time. I'm not here to make you drinks. Yeah, so that, that was a, an incredibly empowered moment, but that was just because, I mean, you know, I was unsupervised. <laughs> what a gift. But, I, but it felt great. I loved, yeah. that. I loved that job.
0: Man, I'm jealous. Like, what a... And you we got to do it for cool nine seat. months. Was Bye. he at, Were you turning a profit that, or were you helping him? Like, was it busy when you were running it?
1: No. Aww. No, we made tens of dollars Aww. a shift. You know, like it was... Nobody was...
0: Yeah. yeah okay
1: <laughs> have you ever we weren't stealing and no, i believe no you one yeah. was making any money. and no one
0: was making money bless his heart and is it? i assume it has since closed like people can't find it's it now it's uh it's it's a bakery for pets now they no sell i know exactly for dogs and cats.
1: i know it was one of the it was one of the great listening rooms of the west village oh my
0: gosh um, That's a, it, it's gone gosh that spot right by your place too is such. A, anyway okay yeah. what you have, she lives in the best neighborhood in, well has a place in the best neighborhood in the world doesn't live it anyway yes. uh, have you ever told a customer straight up to fuck off
1: I, I mean yeah all the time at that place right yeah you would wanna, say the words fuck uh, off yeah I want a vodka soda no I, I'll pour you a vodka and but no <laughs> that's awesome
0: okay yeah. um, have you ever gone toe to toe with a customer in a situation where you were like I w- will not back down like I am right yes. you are wrong at that restaurant, the first night that we
1: ran the open mic, we had a comedian who was new, right? Green, green comic, who did not make the room feel comfortable. And we had a drunk regular customer who wanted me to stop her from speaking. And that's not how open mics work. Uh, and so, yeah, I uh, I told him to go to go fuck himself. And he actually wrote me a letter of apology the next day because he got drunk and belligerent. And so I was like, yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, no, you're, you're in the wrong here. Yeah, she's not funny yet, but, but we did not advertise this as a show. This is an open mic, and if you feel uncomfortable, then you are free to leave. Wow. But this space is now for the performers, actually. And so your discomfort means nothing to me because you paid zero dollars for the show. Do you ever think of owning a restaurant or doing anything
0: on top of and Absolutely never, not. Right? No.
1: I have a hard time keeping inventory in just our house pantry. Like I <laughs> sacri- like avocados <laughs> turned to soup all day in my I'm not I can't be trusted with a perishable product. That's okay. not for me.
0: Okay. I'm going to yeah. ask a question that I I, you know, go go with this question however you want, but, but I do promise this question is on every episode unrelated to this one. Sure. How many bodily fluids have been on your person whilst you were on the clock at any of these jobs?
1: Oh man, let's see. I mean there's obviously the cum, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a although there's shockingly not that much of it in the sense like you know, like condoms are such a part of the Experience. culture. Yeah right? Yeah. yeah. So but you know, sure it gets sure. it's not like battery acid, right? Like, you know <laughs> um but way more I think like spittle mm-hmm. and like people's eaten food. Yep at Places, uh-huh. and then again the the Starbucks the 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 pee and the poop and <sighs> the whatever else in the bathroom of muck of that. Mm. I mean, you know, I, but yeah, I'm not a nurse. You know, yeah. it's not been yeah. I can't think of a moment where there was anyone else's blood. Like I've cut myself, right? Like in kitchens <laughs> yeah. or we do it all time places. So yeah, so I guess yeah, yeah. I've had yeah, semen, blood, spit.
0: Okay, the obvious ones. Okay.
1: Yeah, the body okay. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, do yeah. you
0: do you tip? Do I tip? Yeah.
1: Oh, oh yes, extravagantly. How it's much? Going to be a problem?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's your percentage? Uh,
1: um, if it's given, if it, it's one of the like whatever the most is, so that's often like twenty or twenty-five percent. I I believe that like you that two dollars uh, like for coffee or whatever. So sometimes that's a hundred percent, right? But mm-hmm. it depends on the depends on the coffee. I'll do guilt tipping. So, like, if anyone if anyone's mean at the restaurant, then there's just like an extra ten dollars or something, right? i no, I mean, you know, I I am not I'm not dealing with the the kind of liquidity or you know I'm not I'm not in the tax bracket. I'm not leaving like hundreds of dollars. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, but but yes, I I consider myself a good tipper, and I often tell the table that I'm at, and sometimes my server that I may have been New York City's worst waitress. So, however bad it is, <laughs> you're doing great.
0: You're okay. doing great. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever not tip? Um
1: I have never not tipped
0: because I was
1: unhappy with the service. I have not tipped Because so a thing that happened to me for a chunk of my life is that I was very cash poor. So I didn't have any cash on me, and I would order like club sodas or stuff. And so if I wasn't charged, if I didn't have a credit, then I couldn't tip. Right. So I'd be in a situation of like wanting to tip somebody, especially because they were giving me free club soda. But then they would often communicate to me of like just just take it and like just be a pretty girl at the bar. You're fine. Like just you know go. Do this is fine. That that's, I understand what's happening, and the the time. Please don't sit here and take my time telling me that you can't give me cash money. I have real drinks to make for people that can do that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. G- give us the example of, or the uh, either an archetype of, or an example of the worst customer you ever had to interact with. Ooh. 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 Ooh.
1: There's a woman that made me cry at Starbucks because we were really busy, which was not unusual. And I was at the cashier and I was cash register. I was, at, I was the cashier at the cash register. And she was using a Starbucks card to pay for her drinks. But she needed to put more money on the card. So it was like, we were like 3 or $4 short or something. And I yelled out to her excuse me, miss, you actually still owe me some money. I remember it specifically, right? And I was like, I, I thought we were doing like a fun banter. banter thing, but that triggered something in her, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if like she grew up without money or she had a lot of like class consciousness. I don't know what was going on, but the suggestion that she did not have enough money to pay for this like sent her off on and she dressed me down right in the store. Yeah, and I uh, started to shake, and she did whatever it was she needed to do. I don't. I don't remember if she pulled out another credit card or if she like put more money on the card. Or I don't remember how we like. I left my body. Um, I would have too. But my a manager asked me if I needed a minute, which was really unusual there because we didn't have a minute. (laughs) We didn't have minutes, right? But I I had to be taken off the floor.
0: Holy shit! Break
1: down in the back. Yeah.
0: Did anyone come and intervene when she was dressing you down to be like, "That's enough"? See, that's Mm -hmm. gross. That grosses me out. If I saw that at a place, I would immediately intervene. Okay. I got a
1: lot of sympathetic eye contact.
0: Right. BFD. Like, I guess it does help, but like, someone should step in and be like, "Enough talking," or like that. I get, but whatever. Okay. All right, folks. Well, we're gonna move on to the good stuff. We hope you save room for dessert. Do you have time to do dessert? Yes. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Time for dessert. Okay. Perfect. Definitely have time. Who doesn't have time for dessert? Let's do dessert. Okay, yeah. all right. What is the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? Oof,
1: I feel like I want to take sex work out of this okay. equation because yeah, sure. like the the scale of that is just is it different. wild? It's wild. Yeah, I mean, I had a, I had a client put me on payroll, like who made it possible for me to get the West Village apartment. You know, like oh I mean, I, levels
0: of like
1: benevolence. That really pale, I think. In
0: yeah, holy shit, I'm changing my views on whether or not I want to do it for work.
1: Yeah, <laughs> holy
0: shit. I mean, that
1: was that was a long game, sure. right? It took sure. me it took me like nine months of negotiation to get there. But but once but that was a that negotiation changed my life because for the first time I had a provable source of income, right? Which is what allowed me to secure housing.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because everything else is under the table if you're not. Oh, I see why you had to maintain. Now that makes sense. I wondered, I was like, why is she working at Starbucks if she's doing this other thing? I get it. Because you need need something on paper. Yeah. Wow, girl.
1: Right. But the and they would look at my Starbucks paper and they'd be like, you can't afford this place. And it's like, well, it's complicated.
0: Yeah, I can. Uh, I actually can. I can though. If you, if you
1: let me in, I will.
0: I promise I'll pay you so rent. hard. I will pay yes, you pay more than. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah. So if we take sex work off of the table, what, is, yeah. what would be the nicest thing in a, in a oof, different customer service oof, job? Oof, oof. Like did any of the tutoring parents ever like give you a really crazy gift or did you ever get like, I don't know, acknowledged? Yeah.
1: A lot of, you know, like I had a shocking number, actually, of like people I waited on come to shows. Oh, come which, on! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. So I, I, did, I developed rapport, and I think that there, I, you know, I, time, time will tell. I haven't commanded an audience in New York for for a minute, but yeah, we will, we will see if some of those folks still show up. So I. I've gotten folks in the service industry jobs to be like supportive of the art career. Um, That is, I think is really
0: cool. It's really significant, actually. It really is meaningful. And I wish people knew how even just being a butt in the seat. Yeah, Yeah. it's really, it's like you took time out of your life and you don't see me just as this person that gives you coffee. You see me as a whole person, which Mm -hmm. is such, that is really what I found universally to be true, what I've learned through this show from the number of people who have said it. Mm -hmm. The overarching summary is see me as a fully realized human outside of this. yeah, Yeah, yeah. Can you give me an example of your favorite customer interaction that you can think of where something was very kindly said or very, or a customer that you had that was a regular that was very, very sweet, again, sex work off the table, of just some interaction where you were like, yeah, they came every Sunday for coffee and they were really lovely or something like that.
1: Yeah, when I was working at Shark's Pizza in Charleston, South Carolina as an undergraduate history major, there was a lawyer that would come in and sit at the bar like most weekday afternoons. And I remember that this was right when late-term abortion was criminalized by the Supreme Court and there was like a lot of stuff going on. And um, we had a lot of fun. He had a lot of fun with me and the feeling was mutual of like going back back and forth. Because at that point I was still like, probably I'll go to law school. So we would have these like fun debate-inspired uh, conversations while I was, you know, making pizza dough or refilling cokes or diet cokes or other or stuff. That was that was a weird that that whole restaurant was bananas because the the reason that I was making pizza sometimes is because our only pizza chef also had uh, a raging coke habit. So he would sometimes disappear in the middle of the afternoon. For hours at a time to procure more coke, and so my option as the only waitress would be like, "Hey guys, I know this is a pizza place. Uh, we have sandwiches, or uh, I can make you a pizza, but it's not going to be shaped the way a that pizza is shaped. It should be." <laughs> and and most most people were actually pretty cool with that. Most people they they took their heart shaped, oval, <laughs> sometimes square pizzas uh, in stride on the you chin. Know, that was a good. Yeah, and that was I was too young at that point to be like, hey, maybe it's not my job to do everything here. I think that like an older and more mature version of me would be like, my job is to be a waitress, and if you don't have a chef, then I think we should all go home. Uh, but instead of that, I was like, I can do it. I got it. Uh, I got this. I can, I can do it. So I'd come back to the table covered in flour sure. uh, with their misshapen pizza. Um, And we'd all laugh and laugh.
0: I mean, it's kind of a (laughs) sweet experience that like if you have something where you're going to a restaurant expecting one thing and then you get this really authentic thing that happens instead, (laughs) I kind of would love that. I'd be like, well, not what I expected, but okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What is the best time you have ever had at work?
1: A hundred percent Vivaldi
0: between the hours of midnight
1: and six o'clock in the morning when we were creating our own world. Um, And I am I am so proud of the the artists that showed up and the things that happened in the room and the the space that we were able to create together. I think was really really something special.
0: It sounds like it. That that sounds like a magical time in your life that you'll always look back on with like, holy crap, what a fond. Only in New York. It was so fun. Yeah. I mean,
1: if I was, you know, and if I ever run a restaurant, of course, that's my my. Nightmare, right? Yeah, of like course. you're violating all of the laws. Yeah. There are so many fines that we are subjected In- to at this point. <laughs> you stupid girl! But it, but it was it was totally magic, and and it was yeah. And and he was losing the business already. Bless so, his heart. Yeah. Okay, Lesson.
0: him. What is the best lesson you've personally learned from any of these jobs? I, it feels almost cliche to say it, but none of those jobs,
1: even even the best one, even Vivaldi, love you back. And so I think maintaining the lesson that I learned as a sex worker, which is that you can always say no and you can always walk away, I, holding that, I I wish on my younger self, like I wish that I'd walked away from Starbucks sooner. Mm -hmm. I wish that I'd walked away from Le Quotidian sooner. I wish, you know, like, I have quit a lot of jobs and I have also wasted a lot of time stuck in a narrative about personal responsibility or, you know, people pleasing or like I said, or I can't, I don't want to be a person who can't hack it. And yeah, like the, none of these hourly wage work, none of these hourly jobs are worth, a feeling of personal discomfort of like doing something that feels bad over and over again.
0: Wow. Yeah. That has never been said on here. And we've done 6,000 episodes. So that's uh, oh, great. That's so empowering and lovely. And what is one piece of ad- advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? Oh, great
1: question. I mean, my first instinct is like, oh, it's so easy to just not be a dick. Um, <laughs> Girl, I, I feel don't know like. if that's true. Maybe it's hard for people. Maybe it's know? hard. Clearly it's hard for something yeah you you said it earlier, right? Of like the person that is you know, waiting on you, driving you, tutoring you, checking you into a thing is a person. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important as like adults that live in society that we do not succumb to the temptation to make like our emotional state, right, like service people's problem, right? Like Oof. you can be having a bad day. And still not be an asshole to the person that's making you coffee. What? Right? That's that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like and I've seen it done. And sometimes it looks like like, you know, uh, hey Caitlin, you know, happy Tuesday. I'm having a bad day. Oh, sorry, Sam, that sucks for you. Here's your latte. Yeah. You know? End of interaction. That easy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You don't have to you don't have to pretend, right? You don't have to do you know, you don't have to make me feel good, but you don't have to make
0: your bad feelings my problem. Okay. Well, last question in this section, but just specific to you, because I'm so curious if you could tell your younger self something about the trajectory of your sort of work history or kind of artistic history, what is the one thing that you're like, dang it, I wish I would have known this before I got into any of these jobs. That's a really good question, but it's not the question I want to
1: answer. I told myself something over and over and over again as a young person and it's the thing that I told myself that allowed me to take the risks that I took to get to the place that I am today. And everyone told me that I was wrong and I fucking wasn't. And that was your worst case scenario is just not that bad. Go ahead and quit, go ahead and do whatever. Like your worst case scenario is not that bad it's okay to walk away from things that are not working. And I, and, I, and I said that over and over again, right? Yes, I can take this unpaid opportunity. Yes, I can fly to San Francisco. Yes, I can rack up some credit card debt. Yes, I can do all of the, why? Because my worst case scenario is not that bad. I can, I can take this risk.
0: Oh, that makes me want to cry. I love that a lot. What a powerful way to end. Well, Caitlin, I'm having you back 10 more times, but oh, I, God, I loved this. This, this was, was so, so fun, Kate. Thank this, you so much. Thank you for being here. Please remind people how they can see your show, how they can find you on the socials, how they can hear your yes. voice, all the things, please.
1: Yeah. If if you loved this, you will love the, the oldest profession podcast where every episode we do a deep dive in a diff, uh, into a different sex worker from history. Uh, or a different old pro, you can hopefully see my show Horizai View uh, coming to uh, a city near you. Maybe, uh, especially if you email us about it. Especially if you have a venue in mind, and you can you can uh, you can follow everything that we do at Old Pros, including all of my appearances, speaking engagements, op-eds that I publish, all of the sex worker advocacy work that I do, by staying in the know like an old pro and getting on our email list, which you can do at Old Pros online. .org. You can follow us across social media platforms at Old Pros Online. And you can stay tuned for my, you know, once every six week Instagram post
0: at Caitlin Bailey, if okay. that's something that you're into. But most of what we do is at Old Pros. Okay, I'm asking you one more question, then we're going to wrap up. Sure. How did you get, how did you detach from society's shame around that work? And how did you tell your family?
1: Great question.
0: Those were two distinct steps. So,
1: I did not internalize society's shame about sex work until seven years after my first appointment when I first came to New York and I got into an abusive relationship uh, with a man who had all of those opinions, right? So his position was that the sex that I had been paid to perform years before we met was a personal insult to his
0: masculinity uh,
1: masculinity. Grow up. And that took me on a deep rabbit hole. Because like the thing about abusive relationships that I think people forget is like it's such a mind fuck, right? When you're talking to somebody who is like in it, it's a little bit like talking to a drug addict. Yes. Right. Of like, I can see that the heroin is bad for me and also I can't stop doing it. So I was very motivated to find some way, right, of like making that make sense to me, of reconciling that, right? And so I, I spent almost a year really entertaining the possibility that I had like permanently damaged myself or that this was just evidence of like mental illness or some kind of personality disorder or that I would, had, was like unlovable or like unpartnerable in this like really fundamental way. And that eventually uh, led to my first one woman show, Contagious, which is a a deconstruction of that, um, having gone through it. And, And Contagious is also how I came out to my parents. The show itself is about coming out to my father, but I didn't come out to my father. I just wrote and produced and performed and promoted a play about it. But it turns out when you're an only child, and your parents also have the internet? That, you know, it doesn't matter if they don't come and see the show. They see all the press about it and people send it to them.
0: Oh my god. So I'm that so glad led I asked. to
1: so that led to me coming out to my parents and it happened in in a couple of steps. I came home and my mom and I went to therapy because I am a parody of myself. <laughs> and um in therapy, which was the venue that we'd chosen to have this difficult conversation. My mom said, I can't believe you sold your body. And I said, I didn't, I still have it. And the (laughs) therapist laughed, and I declared victory at that moment. Um, Yeah, from that meeting, I then was sent back to the house to have the conversation with my with my father right so like i'd written the show and and my father's a green beret and like the narrative of our family is that like he made all of these sacrifices right that all this valor all this bloodshed all of the wars right so that i didn't have to right so the fact that i chose to engage in sex work was this very personal betrayal of like i worked so hard to give you the accoutrements of a middle-class life. And I was like, yeah, I have a history degree um, and no respect for authority. You're welcome. Uh, you did it. Um, That's off, Dad. Beret's yeah, off. Yeah, nailed it. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, so it was, that was a hard conversation. And, um, and I want to be honest with your listeners about how that went. So we got very drunk um, and we had sort of a circular conversation about, you know, uh, a child is an arrow and the parents are the bow and you can't see where you're aiming and you just pull back and your arrow goes out and it's the parent's job to aim but you can't decide where it lands and you know all children disappoint their parents and we had this very circular conversation where we arrived at like i will always be proud of you and i was like ah oh, great cool awesome uh, don't get excited <laughs> So then I was like, great, dad and I had the conversation. I came out to my parents. I am a sex worker. I now can become a sex worker rights advocate because I've pulled the Band-Aid off and can live publicly as this person that did that. So I wrote my first Vice article about coming out to my dad and then that was published. And then my dad called me and was like, I didn't know that you were a prostitute. I thought that you were talking about your abortion. And I was like, dad, I don't have any fucking shame about my abortion. What are you talking about? Oh no! And so, oh, no. and and uh, we said so we did it again, right? So we we you know had the Help. had the whole thing, and eventually my father came to understand me as uh, as a freedom fighter, right? As somebody who was pushing right to to liberate folks, and he stopped using the word slut as an insult. My dad really came very far before the the Alzheimer's and dementia. Set in towards the end of his life where I had the opportunity to come out to him over and over again because no, no, uh, no, 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 it's my job because no, he couldn't no, remember. No. No, so we no. would do these, like, what are you up to? And I was like, I'm speaking at a conference, what are you talking about? Ah, uh, prostitution law, why? Dad, no! Your daughter's a freedom fighter
0: for sex work. <laughs> oh my god! Show <laughs> oh girl! I, 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 oh, I can't breathe, and I can't. Where's my body? oh I'm so glad I asked. i was so glad I asked. I was like, we should wrap this up, and I was like, I gotta know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my so we whole body.
1: Really good place before we got to a really, really good place before before he died. He but it really was a like one step forward, two steps back dance every, every day. day for like. <laughs>
0: Four years, yes. girl. Help, help! What a Anyone great way. yeah. What a yeah. great way to get you comfy with just talking about it and not feeling any kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely. Yeah, no,
1: I got really good at it. Yeah, right?
0: like you know, and, and towards the end, there he's like, "What?" And I would just give
1: him the line, and he'd be like, "Oh, oh okay, okay, cool. okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, See, okay." Yeah, that does go right. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, my daughter is a sex worker rights advocate. Okay, yeah. here we go. Sex workers.
0: Another word for prostitute. I understand. Okay, yeah, got it, right. got it. Freedom fighter. Freedom fighter. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Plus, freedom fighter
1: for horse. Nailing it. <laughs> it's my daughter
0: well folks we're gonna drop your checks now thank you so much for listening if you want to help us out here at service from hell we'd love to have you subscribe rate and or review the show wherever you listen because come on you know y'all know those ratings help if you want to get in touch with us here at service from hell directly send us your receipts to service from at gmail.com we love hearing from you remember if you can't afford a tip you can't afford to go out so don't be garbage and be good to people it's easier that way caitlin you are an utter delight i am i am not at all surprised i have so many more questions but i your time is so valuable thank you our listeners are going to freak out and love this episode i know or episodes you're just delightful thank you for being here
1: thank you so much for having me kate i had a really really great time uh it was wonderful thank you you're the
0: best uh all right folks find caitlin on all the things go see her show if you're in new york or san francisco or any city at all follow her we'll be back next week thank you folks so much for listening good night folks that's going to do it for us here at service from hell with our two-parter with the lovely and delightful and utterly authentic i can't stop saying it writer stand-up comic and leader in the growing movement to decriminalize sex work caitlin bailey Caitlin gave us so much of her time and answered all of the questions honestly and authentically and openly. And it just is such a delight. It makes my job easier and it makes my job really, really fun. I was really looking forward to this interview and it did not disappoint. So we're going to try and convince Caitlin to come back. But in the meantime, go see her solo show. It is going to be in Manhattan by the time this airs. And then it will most likely be coming to other cities. It's definitely coming to San Francisco, but she's looking at coming to LA and anywhere in between. So reach out to her on her website and suggest a city for her to come by and do this history of sex work where it's part personal story and it's part history lesson. It's going to be awesome. So thank you folks so much for your time and for listening. We appreciate y'all. We will see you folks next week. Good night.